Welcome to another episode of Why Not Meditate podcast. I'm your host, Masako Kozawa, a teacher and a student of mindfulness meditation. I am so happy that you're here. You know, one of the things I like to do when I'm sitting at a place like a cafe is watching people. Each person has their own life, they are living with their thoughts and words and emotions, and they are creating. The path of their life as they go on. And that's fascinating to me. I studied psychology in graduate school, and to this day, I am so curious about why people behave how they behave. In other words, why people are living the life they are living. And whenever I talk to people in person and hear them say who they are and what they believe about themselves, I just wonder who told them that's the truth and why they decided to subscribe to it. I share this personal story in this episode. The eye opening experience I had when I was making one of the big life decisions. Since then, every time when something external happens that is going to change my self identity, I come back to myself. And consciously choose how I see myself. I do examine all the voices from my family and friends and acquaintances, but in the end, I decide. I decide who I believe I am. I decide if the situation is positive or negative or neutral. And I decide how I am going to live my life. And today's guest. Terry Tucker has gone through so many health challenges that most people see as tragedy. About 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with a rare case of cancer, went through an intensive surgery and a long term treatment. And about two years ago, he ended up having one of his legs amputated. He is currently going through a treatment for the tumors. That developed in his lungs. But does he see him as a victim because of the situation and because people around him see him as a victim? No. He chooses to embrace the pain and discomfort he is going through and use them to make him a better and stronger version of himself. He also decided to use his experience to encourage and inspire other people. By becoming a motivational speaker and writing a book, Sustainable Excellence 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. I hope this episode will remind you that you have the most powerful power, which is your mindset, no matter what the situation you find yourself in. So, without further ado, please welcome Terry Tucker. Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm great, Masako. How are you? This is going to be a lot of fun, I think. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm doing very well. So, I know that you have gone through a lot in your lifetime already. You've been a basketball player in college, you've been a police officer, you've served as a law enforcement, and you've been also a basketball team coach, and you've also been a cancer warrior. And 
Can you share your story? Can you walk us through your journey so far? And I want you to also mention how mindfulness practice came into your life and how that has impacted your life. Yeah, I, I think it, this has been, you know, something I've sort of cultivated over my entire life. I started playing basketball when I was, <laughs> excuse me, nine years old and played all the way up until I graduated from college when I was 21. And I think, you know, that certainly teaches you about mindset, about, you know, what you're thinking. There was a, I'm really going to date myself here. So bear with me if you don't mind. Back in 1976, there was a U.S. gold medal winning Olympic swimmer by the mm -hmm. name of Shirley Babishaw. And she had a very simple but a really good quote. And what she said was, winners think about what they want to happen. Losers think about what they don't want to happen. So mm -hmm. if you if you think about that in terms of mindset, you know, winners want, you know, they can they can override their negative brains and focus on the things they want to happen. Whereas losers, and again, that's kind of a, a loose term, losers basically focus on the negative aspects of competition and can't see the value of pursuing a goal or a dream. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mindset's always been a huge part of my life growing up. I am the oldest of three boys, was, was born and raised on the south side of Chicago, um, you can't tell this from looking at me or my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And as I said, I played basketball in college. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame. And I have another brother who's six foot six, who was uh, drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So we sort of joked that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayer's chance you were going to see anything that was going on, you know, but our, our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. Didn't matter how of big, course, tall, right? strong we were. Yeah. Didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went, yeah. you know? So graduated from college, moved home to find a job. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. Mm -hmm. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain mm -hmm. in, their, uh, in their corporate office just outside of Columbus. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both mm -hmm. dying of different forms of cancer. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned a lot about my professional career, so I won't go into that. And I guess I'll just round this out by saying my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's mm -hmm. a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the, the Space Force. Great. So from there, um, you already had our mindset about winner or loser. And at that point, I am assuming that you realized you can make the choice. You can choose whether you see yourself as a winner or as a loser by changing, shifting your focus. You can. It's really all how you look at it. I mean, do you have to go and do something or do you get to go and do something? You know, mm -hmm. I, I go to treatment every three weeks for the tumors that I currently have in my lungs through my cancer journey. And it's a question of, I mean, the drugs that I'm on probably are not going to save my life, but they mm -hmm. may save the life of somebody you know, five years from now or 10 years from now, based on the data that the doctors are getting from my blood work and my scans and things like that. So I don't look at this as, as something that it, it's all about me. I look mm -hmm. at it more as 
instead of going to treatment, like I have to go to treatment, I look at it more as I get to go to treatment because again, maybe someday what I'm going through now will help somebody that I don't even know. And, you know, I think that's part of, I think that's part of one of the things I learned being an athlete on a team, you know, playing team sports is that you realize that, you know, you need to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And you realize that as a team member, if you don't do your job, not only are you letting your, yourself down, but you're letting your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. With the whole human collective. Yeah. And yeah, we're all connected. Right? Like how you are affects everybody else around you. Absolutely. Yes. And people don't realize that, especially today. You know, yeah. people always say, hey, it's all about me. I got news for you. It's not, <laughs> you know, I mean, I always tell, especially young people, you're unique, but you're not special. You know, you mm -hmm. have unique gifts and talents, but I got news for you. You're not special. And you individually can't do nearly as much as you collectively, you know, you being part of a team or a group, you can do so much more in that regard, as opposed to, Hey, it's all about me. I got it all figured out. I got news for you. I'm 61 years old. I don't have it all figured out yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's reassuring. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, like growing up, I believed by age 30, you should have everything figured out. You know, you should have your life all set out because you've gone through all the schooling that you were told to go through and you've got the career and maybe you're married and have kids and that's it. <laughs> that's the recipe for a successful life. And there's nothing further down the road than that. <laughs> yeah, but that's simply not the case, though, right? I don't think so. I mean, I think the recipe for success down the road and through most of your life is lifelong learning is mm -hmm. to continue to be challenging yourself to continue to be asking why or what or how and things like that. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, I read a book called Legacy written by a man by the name of James Kerr. And it's a really fascinating book. I took, I, I couldn't put it down. It took like four pages of notes. And it's about the New Zealand national rugby team, which are called the All Blacks because their uniforms are all black. And I don't know, I don't know anything about rugby. But what I found interesting is when this team, which potentially is the most successful sports franchise in any sport, in any country of all time, when they're looking to bring on a new player, you know, you would think that they would bring somebody on for technical competency. I'm good at whatever. And again, I don't know anything about rugby, so I'm not going to try to even fake it in that regard. But what they look for, and I think this is important because it kind of reminded me of something when you were just talking, what they look for are two things. One, character. What kind of person are you? You know, I mean, how do you treat, you know, do you kick the dog after you lose? Or, you know, how do you treat people after, you know, something negative or something bad happens to you? And secondly, humility, mm -hmm. you know, and I think back on my life, how many times have I gone into an interview where it was like, man, I better have all the answers. I better know, you know, whatever the question they ask me, I better have an answer for it. And what they're saying with humility is, we know you're not going to have all the answers. We know that you're not going to know everything that we're going to ask you as an individual. But us collectively, us as a team to come together, we'll figure out the answer. And I think that's a real important part because, you know, again, you want to hire people that are smarter than you. Yeah, I think you do. 
But I also think you can't expect those people to have all the answers all the time. And that's why you have a team. That's why you have people around you, hopefully, that are smarter than you. Hey, I don't know the answers. Well, let's talk about it and things like that. So I think, you know, character and humility are incredibly important things in life. And I'm not so sure we spend much time teaching people about those two characteristics. Yeah, I totally agree. We are taught to be productive. That's the message I received throughout all my schoolings that I went through in order to be successful, in order to have a happy life, be productive and be good at something. But there was not too much teaching about become a better person, so to speak. But that affects everything. That affects what you think, that affects what you do, what you believe. And I just want to segue into what you currently do. Based on all the experience that you have gone through, now you are a motivational speaker, inspiring so many people by sharing your stories, sharing your mindset. Can you speak about what inspired you to start working as a、um, motivational speaker? That's kind of a good question. And, and sometimes I, I don't know the answer to that myself. <laughs> I, you know, I, have a, I have a very strong faith in God. And You know, there, there's sort of that old joke that is like, you know, when we talk to God, it's called prayer. When God talks to us, it's called schizophrenia. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, God has ever spoken to me. But what I do believe God does is He puts people in your path that make suggestions to you. You know, you should write a book, you should be a speaker, you should start a book, whatever that ends up being. And I think when enough people start saying that, if you're smart, You should kind of perk up and be like,、mm, maybe I ought to pay, pay attention to this because maybe this is God's way of saying, hey, I want you to go down this path. It's your choice. You don't have to. You know, if you don't want to do this, then go do something else. But and so people started to make that suggestion like, you should tell your story, you should speak. And I'm like, I'm not a, I'm not a motivation. You know, I'm not that person.、Mm-hmm. And, and again, that was thinking with my negative brain instead of my positive brain. And it's like, look, I've got all this cancer stuff to deal with. I've got all these treatments I'm dealing with. I've got all this surgery I've had. I don't have time to do that. I, I need to heal. Well, I found that being on podcasts, doing speaking, writing a book was very healing for、mm-hmm. me. You know, it gave me a purpose. And I remember when I graduated from college, I, I mentioned that my father was dying of cancer.、Mm-hmm. And my dad had, this was back in the 1980s, he had、uh, end stage breast cancer, which in a man at that time, they were like, we don't know what to do. You know,、mm-hmm. there was really no definitive treatment for a male with breast cancer. And so they, they told him to go home and die. And、oh, he、wow. lived another three and a half years. And I think he lived another three and a half years because he had a purpose. He,、mm-hmm. he was in real estate, he went to work up to two weeks before he died. And I always remembered that and kind of tucked it away in the back of my mind that, you know, when my time comes, you know, when,、mm-hmm. when I end up getting sick and, you know, coming to the end of my life, there's got to be a purpose. There's got to be something bigger than just sitting around watching television and, you know, thinking about your disease or am I going to die or what? You know, none of that stuff is important. I,、mm-hmm. I mean, it is to a point, but you don't have any control over it. I mean, when I die, how I die, where I die, way above my pay grade. So I don't say, <laughs> I'll spend a lot of time worrying about it. And、mm-hmm. so I think it's important you have a purpose. Those things have been my purpose during this 10 year battle with cancer because I really haven't been able to work in any capacity because my treatments and 
and mm-hmm. you know being sick and now I'm not sick well you know now I'm sick again and and so there were there was always this constant ebb and flow and with that I didn't feel it was fair to try to get a job with a company it's like well hey I'm going to be out for 2 weeks because I'm going to have treatment or mm-hmm. you know maybe you'll see me next week maybe that's not fair to a company mm-hmm. it's really not fair to me either so but what can I do now? You know, how yeah. can I use whatever talents I have, whatever experience I have, whatever education I have to help other people? And that just became uh, speaking and doing these podcasts and writing a book. See, that's amazing because you could have told yourself, oh, too bad. I could not get a job that I used to be able to do no longer. Now, what do I do? There's nothing I can do for me. I mean, you could have taken that route. But instead, you seek for a solution. How can I serve not only myself and my family, but the community by being resourceful? I might not have as much resource that I had previously, but how can I be resourceful with what I have now? And yeah, and I certainly have, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's no S on my chest. I don't wear a cape or anything like that. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, I have... Those bad days. I get to that point. And I, I remember when I was diagnosed, you know, I, I had a I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And I, at the time I was a, a girls' high school basketball coach in Texas. And initially I didn't think much of it. Mm-hmm. And but after it not healing after a couple of weeks, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. Mm-hmm. And you know, he showed it to me. It was a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us pause, but he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get this call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more Mm -hmm. difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. Until finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. Mm -hmm. You have a very rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet and the palms of the hands. And I remember thinking, you know, wait a minute. No, I've done everything right in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. then I kind of got mad. Then I sort of bargained with God. Then I got depressed. And then I just got to the point where it was like, well, these are the cards that I've been dealt. Mm -hmm. These cards suck, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to embrace that suck Mm -hmm. and use it to the best of my ability. Play these cards, play this hand to the best of my ability. And I I found a lot of times that people who start down a road, you know, whether you've got a disease and now you've got to tackle something new in your life or, you know, you're starting a business or or whatever it ends up being, you know, we start down that road and then we butt up against some kind of an impediment. Something gets in our way and we stop and we quit and we give up. And now we don't just do that. Now we got to find somebody to blame. You know, we don't take (laughs) personal responsibility for our own success and happiness. We've got to find somebody to blame. And when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? Like, what do you mean? Who do I blame? I I don't blame anybody. Mm -hmm. And like, well, you, what about your parents? No, I don't blame my parents. I I mean, this is just a rare form of cancer. This isn't something that is hereditary. And and then it was like, well, you must blame God. And I sort of joke. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't (laughs) think that happened at all. Right. But you know, we don't take personal responsibility for our own success and happiness. If you blow something, if it doesn't work out, you know, if if you're not successful, Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, used to have a great quote. He said, I never lose. I either learn or I win. 
Mm. You can take that attitude and say, you know what, I may not be successful on the scoreboard, so to speak, but if I can learn something or I can be successful, then today's been a great day. Mm. For somebody who has gone through what you have gone through and has come out of the dark night of the soul, so to speak, to the other side, I'm pretty sure that you have some sort of mindfulness practice that you follow. If you have anything like that, can you share with us? Yeah, I I mean, I don't necessarily meditate, but I do pray every morning. I spend a lot of time in prayer, not just for me. I've met a lot of people along this journey who have asked me to pray for them. And I do, you know, that's not just some kind of a, you know, empty promise. Hey, you know, I'll pray for you. Will you really, you know, for me, the answer is, yeah, I really will. I spend time doing that because I think that that takes the focus off of you. I mean, if you think about when you're, when you're down, when you're depressed, you know, when, when you think it's, Hey, it's all about me. What are we doing? We're looking internally. We're not, we're not seeing the big picture. It's all about us. But if you pray for other people, if you get involved in other people's lives, if you and I mean, I go to the hospital every three weeks, so I can always find somebody who's worse off than mm-hmm. I am. You know, instead of looking inward, focus outward. It, that mm-hmm. takes that, well, yeah, things are bad right now, or, you know, I've got to have my leg amputated. Oh, you know, that, that's, that's pretty bad. But you know what? That guy can barely breathe. Or, you know, that person, you know, has his kidneys are failing or his liver is failing. You know, I, mean, I can always find somebody worse off than I am. And then to now focus that energy on them. And I don't mean focus it on a negative way, but say, hey, you know, how you doing? You know, do you want to get a cup of coffee? Do you, are you okay? You know, Mm -hmm. let's talk for a few minutes or whatever. Just so now I'm not thinking about me anymore. Mm -hmm. Now I'm thinking about another person. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about a minute ago with service. And I've always believed that whether you are a person of faith or not a person of faith, we're put on this earth to serve, whether it's to serve our God, whether it's to serve our fellow man, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And I found that when I do that, when I'm Mm -hmm. not looking inside, when I'm spending time serving or helping somebody else, I feel a whole lot better than those times when, oh, woe is me. Hey, it's all about me. No, focus outside. And that kind of depressed feeling goes away. And that power is within you. It is. All the time, we can either make a choice to see ourselves as a victim or not, or we can see ourselves as a creator of our life. Your story reminds me of Amy Purdy. She is a snowboarder. When she was like maybe 20 years old, she got a rare case of infection and then she got her legs amputated. And the doctors said there's 2% chance of her surviving from that surgery. And when she woke up, she asked the doctors, when can I go snowboarding? And the doctor said, you're kidding, right? Like you are not going to walk ever again. But she had such a burning desire. And seven months later, she's got her prosthetic legs and she was snowboarding that mindset. And then she went on and got like medals for the um, Paralympics. And And then she was on the dancing with the stars, dancing on the prosthetic legs. I mean, seeing somebody like that and somebody like you takes away all the excuses that we play in our head. And it's all in our our head. 
nobody else is projecting that onto you. You are usually the person who is creating this limiting beliefs and limiting vision about your life. And you're kind of caged inside of it. And you don't know that you're caged and you don't know that you can get out of it. And you always have the key to unlock the cage. You're absolutely right. I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like in 2018, I had my foot amputated. That was the first amputation. 2020, I had my leg amputated. She said, you know, what was it like to have your, your foot and your leg amputated? And I, I told her, I said, it, it has not been easy. I, I'm still learning to walk again. It's been two years since my leg's been amputated. But yeah. my, I have an above-the-knee amputation, which is a, a little bit harder to, to, yeah. to learn to walk again. Plus, I'm older and and I'm tall. So falling is yeah. not an option. You know, you kind of get hurt, you know, when you right. fall from this height and things like that. But what I told her was, is that, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties, mm-hmm. but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody listening to us is. This is just a, a house or a vessel or whatever you want to call it yeah. to house who we really are. So, you know, it bothers me a lot, you know, especially when, especially younger people have this attitude, hey, it's all about me, you know, and then they get all upset and down mm-hmm. and depressed when somebody says, hey, you're, you're ugly or you're stupid or you're, wh- why do you care what that person says? Right. I, I like, mean, who, who are they? Yeah. <laughs> like, who are they? To you? I mean, it's not like they're important. There's just some other knucklehead classmate that you're dealing with, you know? I mean, why do you care what those people think? Because they have no impact on you unless you let them have an impact on you. I mean, you know, all my years in law enforcement, the number of names I've been called, it's like those don't hurt because I don't own them. You know, it only hurts when you own it. It it only hurts because, you know, Sally called me this or, you know, Bob called me that. Yeah. Well, who cares? Well, it, you care and it hurts when, when you let that in, when you, when you take that to heart and think, oh man, maybe I really am ugly or, or maybe I really am stupid or maybe, whatever it is. But the thing is, you're not. And again, this is nothing more than a house to house who you really are. So don't spend a lot of time thinking, you know, hey, I'm not really good looking. Is, is that who you are? I, I got news for you. When you're my age, you know, things start sagging and all that kind of stuff. You're not going to be good looking, you know. 30 years from now, 40 years from now, but you can work on your heart, your mind, and your soul. You, that, that's who you really are. So spend time focusing on what's really important and not something that eventually is going to kind of wither up and die anyway. Mm. And I hear that as that could apply to other external things that we rely on when it comes to validation. We get all the validation from other things, but us. Yeah, we always want to compare ourselves to other people. You know, yeah. and why? You know, why do you care whether your neighbor has, you know, $10 million more than you do? That's your neighbor's life. That's not necessarily the life that you're supposed to live. You know, right. focus on what you're supposed to do and not so much on what other people, you know, are doing and then feel, you know, inadequate. Oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, I must not be as successful because they have more money or drive a bigger, you know, a nicer car or live in a bigger house. Who cares? I mean, really? I mean, unless you're starving or something like that. And I realize there are people out there that are in that capacity, but most of us aren't. And so, you know, everything you need to be successful in life is already inside you. You just need to find it, pull it out and use it to your advantage. Because I got news for you. Life isn't going to give you anything. You know, it's like I'm owed something. You're not owed a damn thing. You know, if you want to do something in life, 
figure out the resources that you have inside you, pull them out, and then work with dogged determination to go down that road. It may not happen today, it may not happen tomorrow, it may not happen 10 years from now, but if you stick with it, eventually, someday down the road, it will happen. I 100% believe in that. And sometimes we are so not confident about ourselves because we've listened to all the external voices throughout our life. We don't know what we want. We don't know who we really are. We don't realize we're connected to the source or God or higher power. And we have everything we need in order to have a life that we can call successful on this planet Earth. You're You're right. And I think the reason we run into that problem is because we sort of put the cart before the horse uh, to, to kind of quote an old saying, you know, we, we got to have goals. We got to have things we're doing. Yeah. But I think before you do that, before you determine your goals, you have to determine your values. You know, mm-hmm. what makes you tick? You know, what kind of a person are you? What is important in your life? And if you figure out your values, if you understand your values, they're so much easier to transfer over into your goals Instead of making your goals, you know, I got to get promoted next year or, you know, I got to I got to buy a nicer car. or We got to live in a nicer house or whatever. If you don't know what your values are, then that all gets kind of murky because you, you don't yeah. have a clear direction. But if you figure out your values, if you spend some time figuring out what's important in mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. and then apply those to goals, mm-hmm. you're going to be a whole lot happier because now you're mm-hmm. you're taking what you value and you're basing goals on them, as opposed to what society or what marketing company is telling you, you know, this is what you need to be successful. Well, if those aren't aligned with your values, you're never going to feel fulfilled. You're never going to feel happy. So figure out your values, spend some time. And I I think a good way to do that is, Mm -hmm. is, is to meditate, spend some time and quality time and think about what's important in your life. And then apply that value, those values, to your goals, you'll be a whole lot happier because now you're focusing on what's important to you, not on mm-hmm. what somebody else is telling you is important to you. Yeah. If we don't know what's important to us, how can we go get what matters to us? I mean, we could go get the things that we are told that are important, but how do we know if they are actually important to us personally? Right. right. Yeah. And I've seen this firsthand. My wife had a mentor. My wife is in the financial services industry, and my wife had a mentor. And and if you looked at this man, by all definitions, he was successful. He he was had a high paying job on Wall Street, had a you know beautiful home in Greenwich, Connecticut, had an apartment in Manhattan, you know, had three kids, had a nice wife who was smart, intelligent, good look. I mean, the whole nine yards. And over time, he spent so much of his time focused on his job and on his business that he ended up getting divorced. You know, his kids only came around when they wanted money or, or something like that. He ended up dating some pretty high profile women in New York. And then four or five years later, he took his own life. Oh. And you're like, how, how could you take your own? You had everything. Right. You had everything that we believe would make a person successful. Right. But I don't think he had his values, you know, he he didn't prioritize what was, I don't think he knew what his values were. I think if you would have asked him that question, I'm not sure he would have been able to give you a good answer. He'd been able to tell you that he was successful. He had more money than God. I I mean, really, I mean, his kids will be rich for the rest of their life. Their kids will be rich. Okay, that's great. 
but you ended up taking your own life because you weren't happy. But was it really worth having all that yeah. stuff versus what was really important in your life? I don't know. Yeah. What would be the first step that people can do if, if we don't know our purpose in life? I'd say the first thing to do would be to search for it with an open heart. We're all born, I believe. Again, this is my opinion. I, I, mm -hmm. you know, there's no halo on my head or anything <laughs> like that. This is just my opinion. We're all born with a purpose. We're all born with unique gifts and talents. There's never been anybody like me. There's never been anybody like you. There never will be anybody like me or like you or your daughter or whoever. You know, there won't be anybody like them ever. So that's how unique you are. But then you use your unique, your unique gifts and talents to find out what your purpose is. And if you can find out what your purpose is, and let me back up a minute, because a lot of times we think our purpose in life has to be our job or our career or our profession. It doesn't. I mean, you can have a job over here and that's what you do to pay the bills, but your purpose is, I don't know, to write or to be a podcaster or to volunteer or to be an activist or whatever it ends up in your heart that you think you should do. And I always tell, especially young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, mm -hmm. go ahead and do it. It because often the, scares us. Yeah. At the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. It's going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. And I know I am guilty of this from time to time, probably many times in my life. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. You know, hey, this mm. would be a good thing for me to do. Ooh, wait a minute. Kind of scares me. You know, what are people going to say about me if I yeah. fail? That's thinking with your fears and your insecurities. That's not saying, yeah, I think this would be a good thing for me to do. Yeah, I might fail, I, but will I learn something? Yeah, then go ahead and do it. You yeah. know, don't worry about what other people say or think or do. Do what you believe in your heart. So I think the first thing would be to open your heart to be, you know, there are things that you probably enjoy that I don't and vice versa. So I probably wouldn't do the things that I didn't enjoy that, you know, that they aren't my passion. They aren't something I'm really interested in, but for you, they might be, and you mm -hmm. should do those things. So again, what are your values? What do you value in life? What's important to you? Open your heart and go down the roads where those values are important to you. And I'm not going to say that tomorrow you're going to find your purpose or 10 mm -hmm. years from now or 30 years from now. I always go back to Colonel Harlan Sanders, who was the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if founding Kentucky Fried Chicken was his purpose or not, but he didn't found that franchise until he was after he retired, until he was in his 60s. Now, oh, you know, what if he would have said when he was 30? No, I'm good. I'm comfortable right here. He would have never grown. He would have never stepped outside his comfort zones. So I think that's the second thing you've got to do. You got to step outside your comfort. If you're comfortable right now, then you're doing something wrong. Mm. You, you need to get outside that and make yourself uncomfortable. And, and I try to do this every single day of my life. Do one thing mm -hmm. that makes you nervous, that scares you, that mm -hmm. makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It, it doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things mm -hmm. every single day, when the big disasters in life hit, and they hit every single one of us, you know, we mm -hmm. lose somebody, we get a terminal diagnosis, you know, we lose our job, whatever it is, you'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain when it presents itself. But yeah. we don't like living in an uncomfortable state. You know, it's like, no, no I want to be comfortable. I'm going to be happy. <laughs> I don't want to step outside that. No, 
Get outside, you know what, Do though, something. That comfort zone is both comfortable and uncomfortable, if you know what I mean.、Mm-hmm. It gets uncomfortable as time goes on. The more you resist going out of your comfort zone, you're sitting on a fence, and then sitting on a fence is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, it hurts your butt. Yeah, yeah. yeah I don't like that. <laughs> But the unknown is so scary sometimes. It's probably not as bad as we think. Our ego, our mind makes all the pictures, paints your like, most horrible vision, image. And it's often not that bad once you take the leap. And I personally found out the more steps that I take outside of my comfort zone, I learn the drill. This is how it goes. It feels、um, really uncomfortable at first, but once you step out, it's actually not as bad. And the next time when I have to do the same thing, I know, okay, this is going to be uncomfortable, but don't worry. It's going to work out. And you'll be so proud of yourself after you've done this. And you build the muscle by repeating the same exercise. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and your brain, if you think about it in that way, and that's a great way to put it, You know, if you go to a gym and you pick up a 10 pound weight and you do 10 arm curls, but you don't find that move challenging, then your muscle's never going to grow.、Yeah. But if you take that t- same 10 pound weight and you do arm curls until you exhaust your muscle, until you can't do another one,、mm-hmm. then basically you're building up your muscle. You'll tear it down. And then when、yeah. it heals, you, you will build it up. Well, the same thing works with your mind. If you、yeah. do things that make you uncomfortable, if you do things where you're stepping outside your comfort zone,、mm-hmm. you're stretching your mind. You're, you're breaking your mind down so that it can build itself up to, oh, that, that's scary, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to take that first step. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Now you've、yeah. expanded your mind.、Yeah. And, and that same principle of working out in the gym applies to your mind as well. When I was growing up, there was a basketball coach at Indiana University by、mm-hmm. the name of Bobby Knight, and probably one of the greatest coaches of all times. And Knight had a saying that when mental is to physical,、mm-hmm. as four is to one. So, what he was、mm-hmm. saying here's this great coach teaching elite athletes to be great basketball players with their bodies.、Mm-hmm. But what he was really saying with that, that quote, Is that your mind is four times more important? Your mindset is four times more important than、yeah. your physical body ever will be. Yeah, it's that pilot、yeah. of that plane. It determines every move that you are going to take. And that's why I found mindfulness meditation to be the shortest shortcut that you can take when you want to change something in your life. It's actually easier to change your mindset. Then go about changing a behavior, then directly trying to change the behavior. We often like try to change our action because it seems like the most direct way. But actually, if we change our thinking, then our behaviors will automatically get affected and it would align to our thinking and mindset. And why do you think people haven't figured that out yet? That's a good question. I think it's. My experience has been going through public schooling system. They just did not encourage that at all. And I got all the teachings but that <laughs> throughout the education that I had. And by the time you finish up all the schooling, I thought that I was kind of done with learning in life. 
nobody really was talking about it. Maybe like church groups or maybe some sort of mentorship programs. If you belong to one of those places, maybe you get that. Maybe your family, maybe your parents, grandparents. But there is not really a place where you are kind of obligated to go to and then get that information. I certainly didn't have that. How did you develop it over time then? In a hard way, going through life struggles, getting desperate and searching for the answer to become happier or to do better in life. It's been just a series of searching for the answer and then implementing what I found, what I learned. I read books. I talked to people. I listened to podcasts, gained knowledge. And let's see if I could apply these things in my everyday life. And meditation was just one of the many tools that I have just tried because I was desperate. I found myself going through a not happy marriage. I was married for 12 years and went through a divorce. And I had a young child at that time. And the life was exhausting. It was very much of a struggle. And I grew up in a very protected family. My childhood was very protected growing up in Japan. And after I left home, And it came into a totally different country with totally different culture. I did not have much to rely on when life struggles happen. And so I searched for a higher power or God or something. I grew up as an atheist. So that was not helping me after I left home. And throughout the search, I found Christianity as something that I can anchor myself to and rely on. From there, when I was going through a divorce, the people I had with the church group, they were actually the most judgmental group of people when it came to me leaving the marriage. And I had to reevaluate what I was believing at that time. And I had to search again. And when I was going through a divorce, there were two types of friends who found out what I was going through. And one group of friends said, Oh, poor little you. That's too bad. You're going to have to struggle. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. And there was a second group of friends who said, You've got this. You've made a good decision and you have what it takes and you can do this. And that was an eye opening moment in my life. That was like pre meditation days. But that's when I clearly saw, Oh my gosh, I'm this one person. But There are two completely different ideas about me, two different perceptions. And then how I am going to live my life from here on, there are two different paths. Then I realized I can choose one or the other, or I can make up something totally different by myself and choose that storyline. Because I can be the director and a storyteller and an actor of this life that I am leading. And I don't have to buy into other storyline, other script. So I decided, okay, I'm gonna be a cool single mom. I'm gonna be financially independent myself. I'm gonna take nice trips with my daughter and I'm gonna live a happy life. So I made up my mind at that time. That was one of the pivotal moments of my life. You know, it's interesting to listen to you talk. When I was in, in grade school, my best friend was a Japanese boy, Ken. 
Mm-hmm. And I always felt uncomfortable eating at his house. I, I mean, I was probably eight, <laughs> nine years old because his parents did everything with such attention to detail, such precision. I mean, from the placement of the napkins on the table to, you know, where the utensils were and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I felt like a barbarian, you know, like <laughs> I was just bellying up to the table and shoveling it in. And they had done such an amazing job of preparing with love and care and, and detail this great meal, this beautiful meal. But that was their culture. That was their values in life. To this day, I wrote about it in my book. It's still, all these years later, has a, had a tremendous impact on me mm. as a young boy. Mm. It was just different in my family growing up as opposed mm. to Ken's family. Mm-hmm. you know, how they did things. I mean, we'd sit around the table with our arms, you know, talking about, you know, pass me this and doing it. And they were, you know, his mom served the food individually. It was, mm-hmm. it, it was just different. And I tried to be more present and more, hey, this is something somebody did for me mm-hmm. because they love me and they care about me, not, hey, mom just made dinner. And I was very thankful that I got to see, it's like, well, we're Americans, this is the way it is. No, there are other people <laughs> in other cultures and who have values that are different from us. Again, that's why I think it's important for all of us to go back. What are your values? Yeah. You know, what do you value? What do you find important in life? And then develop your goals off of those values. Yeah. I really appreciate you doing what you do, overcoming what you had to overcome and still overcoming today and showing us the way that we can also be resourceful and live our life as a winner, not as a victim or a loser. How can people find you more, more about you? So I, I have a blog called Motivational Check. Uh, you can leave me a message there. I put up a, a thought for the day every day. And with that thought comes usually a question about maybe how you could apply that thought into your life. Mm-hmm. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which is a a video or a story. It's a little bit longer and things like that. I have recommendations for books, videos, things like that. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. You can also leave me a note or a message there. And, and, and I, I get back to everybody who leaves me a message. So motivationalcheck.com will, will do it. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today and then sharing your story, Gary. Well, Masako, thanks for having me on. I I really enjoyed it. I always say it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and hopefully our discussion makes a positive difference in the lives of your audience. And if it does, today's been a good day. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Such an inspiring conversation. Here are the takeaways. Number one, in life in general, what you focus on is what you get. Be conscious about what you are focusing on. Number two, The biggest game we all play is this game called Life on this Planet Earth. We are a part of the big team called Humanity, and how each and every one of us shows up in our life affects the rest of the team members. Number three, character and humility are two important factors in life. How do you show up in life when things don't go your way? Do you have the humility to admit that you don't have all the answers? Are you willing to continue learning for the entirety of your life? Number four, when someone in our life suggests we should do something, maybe that's God, the universe, or the source, whatever we want to call it, speaking to us 
through that person. Number five, when we are doing what we are called to do, whatever that is, it could be therapeutic and it could also give us a sense of purpose to keep going. Number six, we are responsible for our personal success and happiness. We might not like the situation we find ourselves in, but what we are going to do about it. We need to take responsibility and do something about it instead of blaming something or someone else. Number seven, we are put on this earth to serve, whether it's to serve God or fellow human beings. Number eight, your physical body is a vessel or a container to hold who you are. Work on your inside more than your outside because that is who you really are. Number nine, everything you need to be successful in life is already inside of you. Spend some time on meditation, figure out your values, and then set goals according to your values. Number 10. Each and every one of us is uniquely made and given a unique set of gifts and talents. Use your gifts and talents to find your purpose. Step out of your comfort zone by doing one thing that scares you every single day. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more about Terry on his website, motivationalcheck.com. His book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life is available wherever books are sold. You can find all of his social media links in the show notes. How is your meditation practice going? Do you have any questions or requests for the future episodes? If you do, please feel free to DM me on my Instagram at masakozawa underscore photography. I would love to hear from you. You can also join my private Facebook group called Why Not Meditate? Oh, and if you're new to meditation, I have created a step-by-step guide, five steps to start your meditation practice. You can download it for free by clicking the link on the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, subscribe and leave a review. Also, share the episode with a friend who might benefit from meditation. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, why not meditate?